This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Swing high from the ball! to right center! And the Braves have won it! There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. A walk-off homer from Freeman, and the Braves win it! He is! Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mast, Atlanta Braves Digital Media Content Manager, virtually via Zoom, alongside Director of Braves Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael. Uh, Greg, you and I have been very fortunate over these past three years to interview a lot of cool people with varying with backgrounds, you know, all over the map, really. Um Whenever we have a guest, whenever we book a guest, I always kind of go through the same prep of there's times where I like, obviously, I'm going to know maybe off the top of my head, I'll know more about a John Smoltz than I will somebody else just because I watched him for so long and he's still on the national broadcast now. So I know a lot about it, but no matter who it is, I always go back. I start doing my research on them on the internet and just just try to learn as much as I can about them. Write down a few questions, but mainly just I want to know as much about them going into it beforehand so we can hopefully have a good conversation. In the we're closing in on 100 episodes, uh, and like I said, closing in on three years. Looking up CJ Nikowski's career has got to be one of the most fascinating reads I've had since <laughs> we've been doing this show. I mean, my goodness, this guy is just. I, I, I think I even said to him while we were speaking with him, I was like, I could talk to you all day because there was just so much I want to know. And I want to ask because he's just had such a fascinating career uh, in baseball, both as a player and now as a broadcaster and an analyst. Um, so many things. I hope we get a chance to have him on again and hopefully in person one of the t- these days, because man, uh, just such an interesting dude and uh, still makes his uh, off season home here in Atlanta. But uh you're all familiar with him from, gosh, all over the place, uh, MLB Network, and right now he's uh, lead analyst for Texas Rangers, getting to do some play-by-play here and there as well. Um, really, really interesting guy, well-spoken guy. Um, I, I'm just, uh, yeah, really fascinating uh, conversation with CJ. Yeah, when I first started getting to know him, he was traveling back and forth working with FS1 in California, and I'm like, man, how are you doing that? Your family's here. You're traveling back and forth. You're hardly seeing them. And, you know, it's just one of those sacrifices, kind of like being in the minor leagues. You had to you had to pay your dues in order to, you know, to get that next job, get that next opportunity. And now he's, you know, full time with the, the Texas Rangers. And, and then, of course, he has his morning show uh, that we talk about. But, uh, yeah, very interesting. And I'd always heard about CJ. Yeah, this guy's doing a blog and he's writing. He's trying to do some radio and broadcasting. And I'm like, wow, yeah, he's really taking advantage of kind of that next step. And, of course, that's something I'm really interested in these days 
working with alumni and helping them guys transition from one career to the next. And I think CJ's done just a masterful job of it and maximizing his talent and being resourceful and creative and, and doing a bunch of uh, different things has, has allowed him uh, to be interesting, which, you know, obviously we know that uh, this day and age, you, you need to be interesting and creative. And um, when you're looking at uh, a second career and, uh, so it's been fun catching up with him and talk with him. So I, I knew he'd be he'd be a lot of fun to talk to. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to work it out. Yeah, really entertaining. Um, just fascinating hearing uh, about different parts of his career. And also, I mean, he's, he's got some great life advice in there, too. So I think mm-hmm. you're all really going to enjoy this conversation. Here he is, former Braves pitcher and now current uh, baseball broadcaster, C.J. Nikowski. Hey, CJ, appreciate you coming on behind the Braves. Uh, we uh, had just a great time. This is our actually our third season. We've had a great time catching up with alumni. And especially you have such a unique, uh, you've had a unique career, not only in baseball, but also after baseball. So we'd just love to talk with you about that because it is something different that a lot of our alumni and our fans have not um you know, maybe don't know the full story, but, you know, between you writing and uh, broadcasting and playing Japan, playing Korea, all those things, man, you just, you remind me a lot about, you know, what about Paul Bird. I mean, you know, Birdie and, Mm -hmm. and uh, just what he's done in with the Braves here. And then what you've done, you've won Emmys, uh, just, just fascinating. So I wanted to have you on just to talk a little bit about that, but uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on with you. I know, you're in Texas. You're uh, on the TV. You're the color analyst. So tell us a little bit about how that's going. Yeah. So currently, uh, I do about 100 games for the Texas Rangers. I think it's 105 this year. Uh, 95 is the color analyst. They allow me to do 10 play-by-play, nice. uh, which is always a little bit of an adventure. I know enough for the challenge. I like the idea of it. Uh, I've been doing that now. This is my fifth year. Uh, with the Rangers, and it's a really good organization. There are a lot of similarities, I think, between the Rangers and the Braves and with the way that the organization is run. I mean, you guys know as good as anybody and anybody that's ever been in this organization and played in this organization, you you hear it all the time that the Braves are just one of the most professional organizations in the game. Rarely is there any drama surrounding the ball club, and I think it goes back to to Bobby Cox and the way that they've kind of established things uh, going way back then, and it continues to this day. The Rangers mirror that for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some great people here that run the organization. They make you feel like family. They make you feel like you're a part of the group, even as a broadcaster and a guy who you know just barely played here a little bit in 02 and 03. Um, I just really enjoy the, the environment that John Daniels has set up here uh, running this organization. So, you know, there were some opportunities when I was originally first working out in California for FS1 when I first got into this business. There were some other local jobs that had opened up um, that I kind of put my name in for or people would reach out to me. And I was kind of happy interested because I had some reservations maybe about the way the organization was run. Um, but once his Ranger job opened up and I'd heard about it and they inquired, I was like, well, this is definitely a place I'd like to be able to go. So I just, I feel really blessed and fortunate to, to continue to call games here. And I hope that I can do it for a long time. 
Well, of course, being the alumni director, I love seeing all the guys that we have that are still involved in the game. I think about Mark Grant, you know, did spend a lot of time in San Diego and then Jeff Francoeur, what he's doing with us. And then Mike Stanton uh, with the Astros and then you're with the Rangers. And Mark DeRosa. Yeah, DeRosa, what he's doing the MLB and, of course, Smolty and all the stuff that he and Gary Sheffield's been doing some things, obviously, during the playoffs with TBS. So I love seeing all of our guys active. Of course, that's not even counting all the guys are doing pregame with Valley, like, yeah. you know, Brian Jordan and Nick Green and, and Peter Moreland, those guys. So it's just interesting because there's obviously, you know this, there's a big segment of the guys who, when they get done playing, they go into coaching. You know, they just go from, you know, pro player to pro coach and whether it's the minor leagues or the big leagues. And we've got a whole host of those guys on our staff. But uh, but, you know, broadcasting is a little different. And I know that you've always been into kind of writing and blogging. And so how did that how, how was that uh, for you? You know, is that something you always did growing up or because that's a little different? I mean, writing is not going on TV talking about baseball, right? Yeah, it, it was kind of accidental, quite honestly. I mean, I think like like most fans, I enjoyed listening as a kid to baseball games, especially. I mean, I grew up in uh, the Northeast in the suburbs of New York City, and so I went to bed every night listening to Yankee games on the radio. It's how I fell asleep uh, in the 80s, and there were some rough times. I know, you know, I know Braves fans don't love <laughs> thinking about the Yankees, but they were bad then. So it was a little bit of a different feel growing up um, at that time. But so, you know, my, I think my love for broadcasting, I maybe didn't realize it, but as much as I listened and watched baseball games, I started to, to realize how much I enjoyed it and how much I was enjoying intrigued by it. But as far as the writing goes, it goes back to 1997. I was in AAA uh, with the Houston Astros in New Orleans. And uh, that was the first year of that brand new ballpark, which sadly they have since lost their AAA affiliate. But at the time, it was pretty exciting. It was one of the best ballparks, most beautiful ballparks uh, in AAA. And some guys had come up to me and said, hey, would you be interested interested in writing a, a blog for us or a newsletter, actually, um, about what life is like in the minor leagues? And I remember thinking, like, this, none of this was going on. It seems kind of normal now, but none of this was going on at the time. And I was like, well, who the heck would want to read that? And I said, sure, I'll do it. You know, I'll write every couple of weeks. And, um, you know, I kind of gave it a shot. And so they had this newsletter and this was before MLB.com. So Astros.com was run by a completely separate company out of Houston. This is when all the team websites looked completely different. Right? They didn't look the same. They're not, they weren't as uniform as they are now and under one umbrella. And so these two guys from a place called Twin Spin Design uh, asked me to do this. I, I said, okay. And what they did is they actually sent it out as a newsletter every two weeks. And they called it the big scoop on the big easy. And I started giving some insight to what life was like in the minor leagues and this new ballpark. It wasn't about me. It was just about, you know, the grind, the daily grind. And of course, now you see this stuff all over the place and done a lot better. Um, and they had an email list that grew to about 10,000 before the, the season was over. And uh, I remember the first one that I sent out, I gave my personal email address and it was actually an AOL address back in the day. And I got a note from somebody at Baseball America and they were like, hey, you may want to set up a separate a separate email address instead of giving out your own personal one. He had my personal one. So we knew that I gave out my, my personal one and we quickly switched that because as we now know, you think, oh, people are just going to want to say, hey, I really enjoy your writing. That doesn't always work out exactly that way. Everybody wants to share um, their opinion. So at the end of that season, I remember thinking like, oh, okay, wow, this was a lot more popular and people were interested in, in what things are like behind the scenes more than I had realized. Wouldn't it be better if they could just have a place to go, like a website where the information is there that they can access it 
whenever they want, as opposed to waiting every two weeks for this newsletter to come in. And so that's when I had started a website. And uh, unfortunately, probably um, the greatest claim to my playing career was the first guy to have his own website. Um, and so I did. And it was called cjbaseball.com. And I would share pictures and videos and things and, you know, what life was like on the road and what golf courses we were playing and which ones you liked and all these kinds of things. Again, sounds, sounds common now, uh, but nobody was doing it um, back then. So that's how it kind of got started. And the writing part of it, any English teacher that I ever had throughout my life would laugh at the idea that I've ever been published for anything or that anybody would give me a single dollar to write. I mean, I just didn't read a lot as a kid. And my father tried to push me so hard on it, but I, I wasn't a good reader, not a great writer. Don't pretend to have some kind of expanded uh, vocabulary, uh, but I did enjoy doing it. And I recommend it to anybody that's interested in getting into broadcasting is just trying to write first. You know, I think it's a really good exercise. I tell players that ask me all the time, like, start with a block. Don't worry about it. If not a single person reads it. Just do it and do it with some consistency and get in that kind of habit of writing. And you start to find your voice a little bit uh, that way. And cjbaseball.com is still active now. It's there. It's there. I don't really use it anymore. I keep it there just in case. You know, this past winter, I wrote a couple of times just to kind of more as a mental exercise for me. Um, to, I don't you know, I don't tweet out about anything that I write on there. Um, I just don't use it nearly as, as consistently as I once did, but it does exist. Well, what I love, because I, I went to it and it's still got like the feel of like an old school website. Cause I was, when I started reading about, cause I remember watching you when you played for the Braves, I watched you pitch for other teams when I was a fan long before I was working in baseball, but I only recently in reading about you learned about the website and I went 97. Wow. I mean, that was, I was just starting high school that fall. And I remember we had a project early on in one class geography class or something where we had to make a website on Microsoft front page or something. And it was like, like me and my partner, like it was a big deal that we had like a little animated airplane that would come across the top of our page with a little mm -hmm. banner. Oh, yeah. Low. Like, uh -huh. you know, it was like that to us was like everything. So it's like, I love when there's still, you can go back and still see like old school websites that kind of yeah, have yeah. a little bit of that, that look. So yeah, I'm with uh, that now. And I'll tell you, part of it was I had a couple of people say, Hey, you want this going back then more. Um, and even into the early 2000s, you know, you want to put some money into this thing. You want it to look professional. I'm like, nah, not really. I mean, there's, I'm not doing this to try to grow anything or try to make any money. I think the idea of a personal feel with some mistakes, maybe some broken links, whatever it may be, uh, was kind of always what I, you know, had envisioned and, and never really wanted to change. And, you know, you see what's happening now, obviously, and how the web has just absolutely exploded over the last 15, 20 years and, and what it's become and, and economically what's available. But that, that wasn't anything that ever interested me. Did you early on, did you have other other players or people who were asking you advice and how to even how to get into that kind of stuff? I mean, or, from, or how long did it do? Or did they kind of look at you like, what in the world are you doing? What is this thing? Because well, I, yeah, I just I, remember I, that time. It's just like to have your own website was that was not commonplace. No. And to carry around your own laptop was not commonplace either. So as you can imagine, and Greg can probably imagine this as well. I mean, I just took a lot of crap for it, quite honestly. It wasn't like, oh, well, that's cool. How do you do that? Or now that might be the case among guys who've been doing something that's happening on the internet. It was more like, what are you doing, nerd? Pay attention to what you need to be doing on the pitching side <laughs> and don't worry about, yeah. uh, you know, why are you carrying on a laptop? And I remember the first laptop that I would carry around. It's so ridiculous where we were. I paid $4,000 for this thing. And I can't imagine the comparison of the speed and the hard drive size for what you can get for six or $700 these days. But it was big, hey. it was clunky. It had a three and a half <laughs> inch right. drive and a CD drive and you had to swap them out. And I had this big bag to try to protect it. It was it was all nonsense. But no, not it, it was to get it, it was fifteen pounds and it had a pull cord. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. 
Um, so you've got this show that you've been doing with Steve Phillips for a while. Um, it's on Sirius XM, right? You're still, still co-hosting yep. it with him. Yep. I do that a couple of days a week with Steve Phillips, the lead off spot, which is on yeah. network radio. That's right. It's a great show. I love listening to you guys. And then Eduardo's on there. Um, I guess when you can, I don't know if you guys trade out or what, but yeah, we essentially so what, alternate. He does Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I do Tuesday, Thursday, unless our schedules, if there's some conflict okay. with travel, but that's kind of how it works. Yeah. So I, what I want you to ask Steve is how would you rate your uh, GM ship? Uh, you look back at your career and, and how many guys did they find out that they got traded on uh sports center as opposed to you calling them, right? Is that what he did to you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm in Chicago and my wife's with me, you know, everybody wanted to go to Chicago because you play during yeah. the day, you get to go out at night. And so we, after the game, we go back to the room and I'd asked Steve earlier in the year, I said, Am I, when I come off this deal, are you going to trade me? No, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. We're, you're, you're good. You're good. As soon as I come off the deal, the first game I pitched. So I'm back at the hotel room. My wife's getting, uh, getting, you know, putting some more makeup on before we go out. And all of a sudden sport, I'm, I said, I'm just going to turn on the TV. And that, and in that day and age, everything was on. Yeah. Only, only thing you watched was sports center. Mm-hmm. There were no tweets. There were no, you know, it was just like sports center. So I turned it on and it's like McMichael just got traded to the Oakland A's with Jason Nisringhausen. And I'm like, Honey, <laughs> and I look over. I look over, and the hotel phone lights doing this right. Oh That's God. back when you got messages. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we didn't carry around cell phones for that purpose. But, mm-hmm. uh, That's amazing. I'll give him a little bit of a hard time about that. Yeah. I played yeah. for him for just a month. You know what? Here's what's kind of crazy. So I don't even know how many years Steve and I have been doing this show, but you know the way that things are so remote these days, and the way we do these shows on XM, you carry around a very small little tiny machine. It's about the the size of two VHSs, if you remember what those look like. But um, And you just have to find Ethernet, and that's where you can do a radio show. As long as it's a solid Ethernet connection, you can do a radio show from anywhere. So I played for Steve just for one month in my career. It was 2001, happened to be September of 2001, where I was a member of the New York Mets, ironically enough, and, and during 9-11. And for as a guy who grew up in, in New York, it kind of brought on a you know whole different set of circumstances. But And, of course, that great game against the Braves and that first game back um, in New York City, I happened to be there um, for that one. Um, but anyway, so I played for Steve for just that one month and the season spilled over a little bit into October. That's the last time I've seen him in person. So I've been doing radio shows with him for, I don't know, six, seven years. Maybe I I, quite honestly, I've lost count as far as how long we've been doing it together. Um, But, and I feel like I'm really close with him. I consider him a very close friend. I do anything for him and I know it, it works the other way. We have actually not seen each other in person. Uh, It's been 20 years since 2001, since he was my general manager for just that one month. That's crazy. That is crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Now the Zoom stuff helps, and they and once they started making us do that, we didn't do it the first couple of years. Um, I would say maybe it's been about two and a half years now where they've wanted us just like we're doing now to look at each other uh, during you know during shows on video. That's been really helpful as well. Mm-hmm. I think you know it is can be a little bit tricky when you're doing things remotely, um, but that helps a ton. But yeah, it's just one of those weird things in in the industry and where the world is going. How productive you can be and the things you can get done, uh, and even the chemistry that you can have without actually being in the same room as somebody else. Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty amazing. When Greg and I started this show almost three years ago, we vowed that we would never do any interviews over the phone or over the computer. And like, nope, if you can't be in person, we're not going to do it. And yeah. then uh, the pandemic hit, and that certainly we had to change our perspective. And now we've gotten used to it, and just it's, it's comfortable now. I, you mentioned earlier how you're getting to do some. I think you said ten play by play. 
games a year. So I'm so last summer in the when we were starting up the 2020 season, we had that ex, uh, what spring training 2.0. I think we called it summer camp, maybe. So we had some exhibition games at Truist Park, and they decided the Braves decided they were going to stream them on Facebook Live because there was no mm-hmm. they, these weren't being broadcast. But obviously there was uh, there was people were at that point ready to watch anything. Um, so they told us the day before we had no clue. They're like, Hey, um, we don't have mics on the field, so we can't have any, we'll have video, but we won't have any audio, but we don't want to have just silence. Um, cause they done one broadcast with just silence and people are like, well, great, but this is just weird. Like we're yeah. just a still camera with no audio. So like, why don't you two, uh, just go up to the booth and you call the game and neither of us have ever, like we do a podcast and we yeah. just talk, we never broadcast a game. So yeah. I attempted to do play by play. Greg did a, a very good job of, uh, as yeah. an analyst. Um, but our favorite compliment and people <laughs> that listen to our show have heard us say this before. Our favorite compliment was one lady in the comments said, uh, well, this is better than silence. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I'll say this, just attempting to do play by play on the fly. Was, oh my God. That, that's tough. That is really tough. So what has that been like for you? Like the first time you did play by play and what is that, what's that like for you? Do you enjoy yeah, so part of it is, and I got to do, uh, I think it was three games, maybe more than that, but I got to do my first game actually with FS1. I kept bugging him and bugging them to give me one chance. I think the one thing I've realized just in this industry in general, like we talk about a guy like the, the Will Noel and John Smoltz. Well, John Smoltz is a Hall of Famer. He's a great player and he just also happens to be a great analyst, right? And so people will hire him in a heartbeat, of course. For the rest of us who you know are not great players, but maybe we're lucky enough to play, we have to work a little bit harder. And there's, there's a lot of us in the industry and even to get opportunities can be a real challenge. And so one thing I realized was it would be really important for me to do as many things as I possibly could do to create as many opportunities. I mean, even now doing radio and TV, you know, and those are two completely different mediums and I'm grateful that I'm able to do both of those. And this is a fickle business and you just never know, you know, which job you're going to have um, year to year. And so I also thought, well, let me see if I can take it a step further and maybe try play by play and maybe even host. I was doing a show called MLB Whip Around where I was an analyst and, you know, just basically a highlight show. And I asked if I could even host that one time just to see if I could do it. And they let me. They were good about it. I mean, I had to pester them for a while. Um, and I kept bugging them about doing play by play. So let me do it. I said, give me your worst game. Just give me one shot to do it. I want to try it. I want to see if I have the skill set. I think that, you know, as a former player, and I know there's a lot of former players that do play by play, but there's a different insight. It's a different feel. Um, and so I just really wanted to try it. So they finally gave me a game. It was a Monday night game. And this is when both of the teams were bad. It was Arizona and San Diego. Um, and Eric Carroll was my analyst. And, and EK, I know well from working with him at FS1. So I was really excited that I got to have him and to have a position player. Not that two pitchers couldn't do a, a good game, but the idea of being able to offer both perspectives, I think, makes for a, for a better broadcast. And so um, there was a couple of different things that I did to help prepare. Ironically enough, maybe two years before that, a friend of mine sent me a DVD of a game, an older game, and and game notes. And he said, hey, here's a good way to practice. You can look at the game notes. You can watch the game. You know, this game was from a couple of years ago. Well, the guy who sent me that, is now my play-by-play man here with the Rangers, Dave Raymond. Um, And so that's one way that you can do it. I tell people all the time, advice that I've gotten from other people, go sit in the stands with a recorder, so at least you get some of that natural sound and maybe practice a couple of innings of play-by-play. I tell friends of mine that want to be analysts but have never done anything, I said, if you're watching MLB Network and 
the host is asking a question. As soon as he's done asking his question to the analyst, hit mute on your uh, your remote, and then you answer the question the way that you would do it and try to play it and practice it that way. So from the play-by-play play side, um, that was it. It was about, you know, I didn't have the reps that all these guys get in the minor leagues of, you know, calling thousands of games before they're ready to get to um, the big league. So I had to find other ways to practice and, and keeping my fingers crossed and hoping that I wasn't terrible at it, quite honestly, and asking a lot of questions. I am a question asker in this business. I think in anything that you do, um, if you're not trying to get better, you're really risking uh, getting pushed out. And so I was constantly asking questions. I got some great advice from some people. You know, Don Sutton was one of those people. And I asked him a question one time just about broadcasting. And, and he had told me, he said, you know, he's like, it's just for me. He's like, I just I pretend that there's a grandma in South Carolina who's a huge Braves fan. And we're just talking about Braves baseball in her living Right. So that was like one approach. And I really appreciated that. And I try to do something like that. It'll kind of come back to mind once in a while. But I've gotten lots of great advice from lots of guys uh, from around the game. And um, that, that was how I could best prepare myself. And maybe Kevin Burkhart, maybe he, perhaps he gave me the best advice when I asked him about it. He just said, talk less. <laughs> and I wrote it down because I'm a talker. You guys probably picked up on and. It's hard to get comfortable with silence when you're in the booth, but you need to. It's really hard. It sounds crazy, but sometimes a, a second feels like a minute when there's when there's no sound. And so um, learning to talk less. And uh, my wife is very appreciative of that advice. And she <laughs> also take that home. <laughs> well, I think that's a lost art. I think that was done more so probably when we played and before that. But now it seems like they don't want silence at all. And it seems like that they want to keep filling in the air with uh, with stories and more talk. Right. I don't know. It's just something I've noticed, but it, I, I agree. I think that there's something about the, the sights and sounds that, that allow that to happen. Maybe a little bit more on radio as, as you did. I grew up listening to some games on the radio and I really enjoyed that, but there was something about the silence where you could hear the bats, you could hear the fans and you know, it, it let your mind kind of create the images and um, instead of somebody filling that that time the whole time. But one thing that I love about uh, UCJ and, and that I've, I've noticed that's different than a lot of guys, and I've worked on the corporate side now for 11 years, is that we, I don't see a lot of our, our you know, our peers that um, are willing to put themselves out there and to risk what you're talking about. Hey, go try something different. Go, go be a play-by-play. Go, you know, try to co-host. Go try to start this, start that. I think baseball's done us a little bit of disservice because our whole lives it's told us what uniform to wear, when to play, when to pitch, what to, you know, when to go eat, when to get on the bus, when the game's over with. And so, you know, as well as I do, when that happens for 25, 30 years, you get conditioned to always being told what to do. And now all of a sudden your career's over with and you've got to decide what the next step is. And uh, so I've seen a lot of, a lot of hesitancy with guys to really put themselves out there. And so I appreciate about that about you because you've experienced by going to Korea and going to Japan and, and, and doing all the things that you've done. So I'm curious, do you think that that was something in your DNA or did you have to push yourself to do that? 
Uh, you know what? I think my career might have gotten me there, quite honestly, because of some of those things that you mentioned and the survival aspect of wanting to continue to play the game as long as I possibly could. I was I was lucky. I threw my last pitch at, at 39 years old in the Dominican Republic, and I was trying to be a side armor, and I, I drilled a lefty in the ribs, and that was it. It was over. <laughs> and um, and I remember my wife, she was there. She turned the TV off. She's like, I can't do it anymore. She's like, I can't. I can't. <laughs> this, this has got to be it. Um, I was hoping to throw a pitch at 40, but it didn't happen. But, no, I, I think the idea of, you know, being a starter first – uh, then going to the bullpen and doing that for a little while. And then the lefty specialist, right? You do all these little different things. And then I was like, I want to keep going. And so I wanted to be a side armor. Um, and I, and I tried that for a little while. And I think just the, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was partially how it was built and it, and it came out in, um, you know, throughout my career, but just the idea of, I think having the work ethic and trying to be a survivor, you know, I come from a military family. My father was in the Navy for 20 years and was still serving, um, up until I was in, I guess, second or third grade. So I got to see that and and you know growing up with a military dad there's there's some discipline there but it was always about hard work and always adapting and even watching him come out of the navy quite honestly without a plan necessarily and watching him adapt and figuring out what he was going to do with his life and his career and doing whatever it was going to take i think is the big one right your willingness to do whatever it's going to take if you're a guy who's had a ton of success and you're sitting on a pile of money you may not be as motivated to do as many different things um, and put the work in the time in and ask questions about it so i think that it's really important in our business i think it's really important to remain curious it's really important to put your ego aside and and it's not about you in the broadcast and it's okay when you make mistakes it's interesting for me to watch some broadcasters when you know they've messed up and you know and they know they've messed up and they don't correct it because mm-hmm. the pride gets in the way where and i got a great relationship with dave and steve I, i'm i'm one of the luckiest guys in the world with the guys that i work with that when i mess up or they mess up you know we're either going to call ourselves out or we know we're going to get called out by a partner and nobody's <laughs> going to get upset about it and i like yeah. that kind of like being back in the clubhouse again where you got to have some thick skin so i think that helps as well but the other thing i'll say you know post career as you were asking that question made me think about something i had a conversation with at the time one of the pirates um mental skills coaches as my career was ending and and transitioning out of baseball. And one of the things he had said to me was, he said, you got to make sure that you can reflect on your career and realize the mistakes that you made mental, physical, but especially mental and make sure you don't bring those into your second career. And I, so I kind of, kind of started reflecting a little bit. And one of those things for me, one of the biggest ones as a player is that I was my worst critic and I gave myself no credit for anything I did well. And I beat myself up like crazy for everything that I did wrong. Right. And so I was constantly focused on all the negative and how bad that was. And, you know, I could say have, you know, two good games and then a bad one. And it was all about the bad one instead of really giving myself credit for the two good ones that I just had. That is no way to operate. I mean, I was lucky that I got to play as long as I did, but that's not a formula for success. And so it's hard, uh, but I try to do that in broadcasting um, to some degree to be a little bit less self-critical, um, a little bit more aggressive in what you do. And uh, and as you said, taking some chances and don't be afraid to fail. You can't be afraid mm-hmm. to fail. You can't do it in baseball. It's not going to work. It's not a recipe for success, and you certainly can't do it uh, in any job, but especially a public job. Um, Because that's the other thing about this, man. I've said to people all the time, basically, once I got kind of good in high school, around 16 years old, and I'm 47 now. So since then, every job I've had has had public criticism that comes along with it, right? From the time that you're having articles written about you in high school until there's, you know, still people either giving you credit or telling you everything you're doing wrong um, as a broadcaster. So even though it's not maybe the the brightest light, it's still somewhat of a bright light that's on you with critics uh, for, I guess, what is that, 31 years straight now? Mm. Well, those are some great words. 
They have, they absolutely are. And CJ, I don't, we don't want to, I could honestly talk to you all day because just your <laughs> career is so, so interesting. Um, but this will be the last question for me. I'm longtime listeners of behind the Braves. know we're always, or I definitely always love hearing about hearing stories from guys who played in Japan. Uh, we've had Bob Warner on a couple of times, talk to him about it. Andrew Jones, we've had on um, You're, I believe I could be wrong about this. We're almost a hundred episodes in, but I think you're our first uh, guest who has, played in both Japan and Korea. And I am curious, well, Hey, what was that like just playing over there? First of all, but what are there differences? Like what were the major differences between Japanese baseball and Korean baseball? I mean, I, I, I think some of us, some people might be apt to just lump everything that's, that's sure. like Japan onto one, but I, I would think that there has to be some, some big differences there. So I'm just curious from your perspective, what was it like and what were some differences between the two? Yeah. The first part I would say, I, I absolutely loved it. It was a, it was a great experience. My family really enjoyed it. My two oldest children got to go to school there for a few months, which was a great experience for them. Even though it is an international school, there's kids from 20 different countries. They're going to school with a half of them were probably Japanese kids, but then you had all these other kids um, that were living there, their families that was international. So that, part of it was a great gift to us uh, for them to go through that uh, for a little bit when they were really young, first, second grade and in pre-K um, was, was really fun. The playing experience there uh, in both countries was amazing. They treat you really well. You know, I came off a year where I spent the entire season at AAA. I think I was 33 years old and the clock was ticking and the opportunity came up and I jumped at it. And it's not too often that lefty relievers get to go over there if you're not going to be a closer, quite honestly. Um, so I got very fortunate that I got to do that part of it as well. You learn a lot. I got to play for Sadahara Oak, you know, I mean, the all time home run uh, king uh, as far as the world goes. And uh, those are the kind of things that when I look back at my 19 years and now that I'm broadcasting all these little stops along the way, right? playing for Bobby, playing for Sadaharo, playing for uh, Joe Torrey. And the list kind of goes on and on. And then all the teammates that come along um, with it. And then to see some of those guys then try to come over to the States and play or maybe have a little bit of success um, over here. But it is it, it can be a grind at times because the expectations are really high on you as a foreigner because they're limited in how many foreign players they can bring over there. And so you don't just go over there to kind of hold your own. You got to be really good. And there was times where they were really overly critical. And I was like, this is crazy. I, you know, I, I got sent down one time because I let up a base hit to a lefty. Uh, I had like a one and a half ERA, but they were really mad about the base hit. And so I had to go to the minor leagues for 10 days. I'm like, this is nuts. Like it was really intense. And that's why some wow. of the guys started smoking. I was not one of them, but some of my foreign teammates, the pressure was so <laughs> real uh, that they were firing off heaters with their Japanese teammates to try to keep some of that pressure. But, um, it was a retreat. I, mean, I could go on about it forever. I wrote for the AP when I was there. I'd, I'd publish, an, um, you know, I guess it was about once a month. I think maybe about eight or so articles that I had published for them or they published for me that I wrote that kind of detailing the experience. But it was just an absolute pl uh, pleasure and so much fun and grateful that I got to do it and the people that I met um, along the way. As far as the difference, I tell people all the time. Korean baseball, in my opinion, is closer to American-style baseball. Uh, all the stadiums are outside. The ballparks, as far as having the grass infield within the dirt part of the infield, like a traditional baseball field that we have, you get more of that over there. Japan is a bigger country. They've been playing baseball a lot longer, so they're a little bit further along. But the style, in my opinion, with Korean baseball, it's a little bit more of American-style baseball. It's pretty aggressive. They have actually bigger physical players there that can drive the ball out of the ballpark. Um, so I actually liked it there. They're just not there in the sense that they don't run as deep with their talent 
uh, because of, again, how small the country is and how long they've actually been playing professional baseball. But they'll keep they'll catch up over time. And the rivalry between those two countries is incredible when it comes to the WBC and the Olympics. I mean, all stops like, you know, we sit here, we're going through the Olympics right now, right, where we're sending over guys that aren't on the 40 man roster. Guys like Todd Frazier who don't have a job right now in the big leagues are, are representing us. And that's cool, too. In Japan, they completely stop the big league season. They get all their best players and they go and they try to win Olympic gold. And then in, in the idea of going up against Korea is a big deal to them. Uh, so much so, I don't know if you know, but in Korea, you're, you're required mandatory two years of military service. But if you win a gold medal, you get exempt from that service. I mean, that's how big of a deal it is uh, to these wow. countries. So I'm, I'm grateful for the friends that I have over there, the experiences that I had. Um, it was it was just tremendous. And I just feel mm. fortunate I've done it. Well, thank you, CJ. It was uh, some great words. We get to hear from you. I appreciate you coming on and uh, best of luck in your career. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, sounds good, man. This was fun. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Tell Steve I said hi. I will, man. I'll give him a hard time. <laughs> All right. Thank See you, right. buddy. See Thank y'all. you. All right. Bye-bye. Our thanks again to uh, former Braves pitcher C.J. Nikowski for joining us here on Behind the Braves. Uh, he's one of our many great Braves alumni. And uh, speaking of which, I think, let's see, our, our your next Braves alumni Sunday is coming up. When are we going back home in August? Is August, that right? August 1st. Yep. Okay. Who we got coming up on August 1st, Greg? Yeah, so we've got Mike Remlinger and Tom Pachork. So Mike pitched in the, let's see, early 2000s. Um, early to mid 2000s with us. He was a phenomenal lefty specialist out of the pen, but you know what? He, he really wasn't your traditional lefty specialist because he could get everybody out. I mean, he had three or four years there that were just phenomenal. And the Braves bullpen was really, really good. Um, I think about Kerry Leidenberg and uh, Mike Remlinger and um, just, just some guys that, uh, and then that led into Peter Moylan and uh, some of those other guys, but, uh, yeah, he, it should be fun. He hasn't been back in a while, so really been trying for the last few years to get him here. He lives out in Arizona with his wife, and so he'll be here. And then, of course, Tom Pachorek played back in the 70s, was a phenomenal hitter. I think, you know, he hit over 300 a bunch of times, had a long career, was, a you know, what we call a professional hitter. He, he was in broadcasting as well for the White Sox for a long time. It's uh, funny guy has a lot, um, a lot of great stories. So looking forward to having them and interviewing them out in the plaza. Now, one thing that's changed, and we did that for the first time this past Sunday, is we're doing autographs for the first forty minutes. We've made these really nice baseball cards. They're actually bigger than that, but uh, that we're handing out. Uh, the guys are signing them and handing them out for the first forty minutes, and then after that, for twenty minutes, I'm doing a little. Um, kind of like a little Q&A with them. And we're talking about what they're doing now, a little bit about their careers, kind of what the current team's doing. So it's a lot of fun. So I hope everybody comes out. It'll be between 1130 and, and 1230 on uh, Sunday, August 1st. And actually, sun, uh, August, we've got three alumni Sundays. So right. the 1st, 8th, and 29th. So it should be a busy month. 
Sweet. Well, I know uh, when you were on stage uh, this past Alumni Sunday with Marcus Giles and Terry Harper, mm-hmm. uh, I was already in the press box because we had the, the day game. So I was in there getting ready for the game, uh, sitting next to Mark Bowman. And he and I were enjoying, they were showing uh, you interviewing them on stage and they were showing that in the ballpark. So we were actually watching in the press box and uh, getting a kick out of that. And <laughs> we were maybe throwing a few friendly jabs your way and, and Marcus's way. And just having fun. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no, but it was fun. It's great. It's it's really yeah. cool. Come out and definitely come out, get an autograph, and then listen to some stories and some questions, and or come get an autograph. And you want to go in the stadium, you can watch it. Their Braves Vision shows it on the big screen in there. So, you know, uh, definitely a lot of fun there. Uh, Tom Pachorik, I do remember he called some Braves games back in the day as well. I believe it was he and those of you who are Atlanta Hawks fans are very familiar with Bob Rathbun. If you don't remember this, I think this is mid two thousands. I could be a little off. In my my time period there, but there was like 20 or 25 games a year where I think Bob Rathman and Tom Pachorik called games together. And those were always fun games to listen to. Tom was always really funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think a, a year or two ago, well, it wouldn't have been 2020, obviously, but 2019 when my now fiance at the time girlfriend, you were kind enough to have her in the alumni suite while I was working. And I think she, it was a day where Tom was there and she still talks about just how much she enjoyed talking to them, how funny mm-hmm. he is and just how nice of a guy he is. So looking forward to that. Uh, we're also looking forward to uh Braves fantasy camp. Uh, two point version 2.0 or the second edition, the second yearly edition coming up in November, what November 2nd through the 7th through the 7th. Correct. Yeah. Registrations open should be a blast and looking forward to uh, meeting some new, new campers and, and uh, having a different group of guys, you know, it's become so organic with these relationships and all the guys who have been able to call friends over the years that keep coming to fantasy camp every year. So hopefully we get to be able to expand that, expand the family, the fantasy fantasy camp family, which you got to be a part of a little bit. And you know how special uh, it is. I actually had a couple guys just show up for alumni Sunday uh, from Chattanooga and get to talk with them. And it's like, Oh, you know, just didn't know they were going to be there, but they came up, said, hi, give me a big hug. And so we're, they're talking about getting ready for camp. So January they're, they're getting ready to roll and, and how they're going to get better, you know. So it's, it's fun because they they like to play baseball and talk about baseball, and so we get a chance to see them all the time. So I hope hope uh, some of our listeners out there who thought that they uh, couldn't do this or were waiting to do this, but uh, so come on, register and and uh, be a part of the family because it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I can vouch for this firsthand, seeing it that it's. I was going to say a fraternity, but it really is. It's more of a family. I mean, it's men and women play. Uh, and then spouses are there too. A lot of people bring their, some people bring their spouses and they're there and everybody knows each other. And it's, especially the ones who have been there. I know some of your hall of famers, your fantasy camp hall of famers, which you've got a few in there now. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see them like they're wanting like the newcomers and the newbies, like they really want them to make sure they're instantly become part of the family and have a good time become part of this this network of people that all congregate once a year for this great thing that is Braves Fantasy Camp. So definitely, if you've never done it before, check it out. Uh, send Greg an email, check out the website, uh, and, and just get more information on it. And I think you'll uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised about how much fun it can be at, you can have at Braves Fantasy Camp. So, well, on that note, partner, uh, thanks to CJ for joining us. Um, Thanks to Zoom and my laptop for for working with no glitches this whole time. <laughs> so we're uh, 
we'll, uh, I think we're, we're working on our guest for next week. So hopefully we'll have uh, another good guest for you. What are we at? Are we around what? 95 episodes now? Next 90? week will be 95. Wow. Okay. Getting close to that big 100. That was a good year. 1995. That's good right. Year. Good. Good. Hey, by the way, have you noticed uh, your, your former teammate and also 1999, a nationally championship series MVP, Eddie Perez. Uh, I've seen him down the dugout on the field. Some he's currently wearing number 95, which yes. I like a lot. That's a, yes. Um, I'm not sure he started out. Um, he was not supposed to be on the coaching staff. Uh, he was working in the minor leagues and then I don't know what happened, but uh, I guess they called him up to the big leagues. Yeah. He got pulled out of the minor leagues. <laughs> it's still, I'm so used to seeing him wearing number 12, but it's kind of cool yeah. to see him wearing number 95. Cause I think about 95 in the same way that you do that. Hey, that was a, that was a good year. Oh, before we sign off, that reminds me, I need to bring you into your office. I think I sent you a text, you a picture. I found when I was at my parents' house in Virginia over the holidays or well, it's July now. So last Christmas, I guess it was, oh. I, I found uh, the issue of, Chop Talk from December of 1995 of uh, the Braves, the old Braves monthly magazine that used to come out. Um, and I was, I would get it as a kid in the mail. Um, I sent you a picture of inside that it was, it was the first issue after you guys had won the world series. And there's like a, a section in there with players, family updates. Um, and I sent you texted you a picture of you and your wife. I think it was your first home and might've just had your first, your first born. Yeah. Yeah. My oldest daughter. Yeah. Aaron. Yeah, so it's a really cool picture, but on the back, this is the part I don't think I sent you. I might have, I don't know. But I was thinking about this when we were talking with CJ. The entire back page, now it was a print magazine, but the old Chop Talk magazines from back in the 90s were like somewhere between like not a full newspaper size, but not the size of a typical magazine either. It was like a huge, huge print magazine. They're like those New York uh, um, newspapers. Yeah. They're like big magazines and they, they, the sports was in the back. <laughs> yeah. So they would, they would literally, they would, it would, they would have to fold it in half to put it in your mailbox. Like it was that big. So the full, very whole back page of this magazine was an advertisement for www.atlantabraves.com. And it was, they, the Atlanta Braves had just launched a website and it was, uh, it was pretty cool. It's the old, like the old school ad. So I'll have to bring that in. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe you you sent that to me. I saw that. That was pretty yeah. cool. Okay. www www the interwebs that's right right. well we'll i'll have to put that out on twitter or instagram or something just for folks who listen to us faithfully can hear it but uh and speaking of the folks who listen to us faithfully uh, faithfully thank you so much for uh for listening rating reviewing downloading subscribing all that good stuff we very much appreciate it uh so for greg mcmichael i'm ricky mast we'll see you next week on behind the braves Hey, Braves country. We just wanted to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe Behind the Braves on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or at Braves.com slash Behind the Braves, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Braves. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 